When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California, the Beth in Las Vegas, and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. It is Friday and that can only mean one thing. It is Legends of Sport Friday. It's Andy Bernstein. Hey Andy, how are you? Arash, always great to see you on Legends of Sport Friday. I mean, I'll see you any other day of the week, but sure. Legends of Sport Friday, great to talk to you, my friend. It is a great day of the week. It's Friday. We're all getting ready for the weekend. Before before we do, we have to hear your amazing conversations, and I'm very excited about this one. Um, a, because I'm a journalist and she's one of my heroes. B, I got to work with her towards the end of her career, which was a career highlight. Jackie McMullen fellow Hall of Famer. Uh, again, I became familiar with both of your work when I became a basketball fan during the Lakers and the Celtics bird magic. <laughs> when did you two first cross paths? Well, I got to say, I think it was probably in the 84 finals. You know, I was, I was a young fledgling sports photographer then. She had already, you know, been on the, the Celtic beat for a little while. Um but I, I, I really remember being at the 84 finals, probably a practice or something or media, media scrum and seeing this, this tall, attractive blonde woman who was just writing furiously at her pad. And, I, I, you know, she was really probably the only woman that I saw consistently on the NBA beat for a little while. I mean, there were women who came and went, but because of the Lakers and Celtics, and that was so frequent, 84, 85, 87, it, it, you know, I saw her all the time. And I would watch her, and I finally got up the nerve to say hi to her. And, and she was so nice and, and welcoming. And she had that New England thing going for her. You know, I, I went to school at UMass. Um, so, you know, I was familiar with all this Boston sports, but of course I'm living in LA and I, how can you not be a Laker fan? Yeah. I mean, it had to be neutral, of course, when I'm working, but you know, it was, it was wonderful. And uh, I could see how she interacted with everyone from coaches and trainers to players to her fellow journalists. And there was kind of a, like a running kind of, I don't know, territorial thing back then. It was silly and it's silly then and it's silly now between writers who, consistently covered the NBA and photographers who consistently covered the NBA. And we always felt as photographers that we got the short end of the stick that, you know, the writers got all these accommodations and all these 
things and like the photographers were second class citizens. It was so mm. stupid. But it <laughs> kind of bonded all of us together, you know, and then now we laugh about it. And anyway, um, fast forward, um, you know, 2018, uh, Naismith Hall of Fame um, graciously awarded me the Gowdy Award for media. And, you know, I know that, you know, I didn't know this from Jackie. I heard it from a few other people. But I know that Jackie was very instrumental in pushing my nomination forward, that she felt that the visual archiving and docu documentation of, of our sport um, was as valuable as writing, broadcasting. And, I, you know, I'm very grateful to her for that because, um, you know, the Naismith Hall of Fame is really the only major sport hall of fame that honors photographers. I think... Boxing might do it, but of the four majors, um, it's the only one. So, you know, I've, I've kind of taken up the mantle with that, with some other sports. So we'll see what happens. But um, loved our conversation, loved the fact that she'd been retired for a while, that my producer Eugenia and I were able to coerce her out of retirement for, you know, 45 <laughs> minutes to chat, go down memory lane. And, and we love doing the research, you know, Eugenia and I and, and our researcher, Kaya, and our social media guy, Michael, we, we just, it's really half of the fun of, the, of doing an interview, having a conversation is learning about the person, especially a person like Jackie, who had been around for 40 years. Wow. And to learn her history and, and talk about it in our conversation was wonderful. And by the way, I'm not just saying this because you're on, but you know, one of the things that they say with the Hall of Fame is, can you tell the story of the sport without... This person's work, and I, and I think it's safe to say with the great photography and the great pictures and the, all the pictures that were up on my wall as a kid growing up, you cannot tell the story of the NBA without your great pictures. Um, all right. Thank so you. With Thank that, you of course, with that said, Legends of Sport Friday, one of our all-time favorites is Jackie Mack. Jackie McMullen. You know, the NBA icon, which turned out to be a massive, massive project. I didn't expect mm -hmm. that one. I had never done a podcast series before. So yeah. I was my own worst enemy. You know, I <laughs> dove down that rabbit hole and didn't come up for a year and a half. So yeah. that was the last official thing I did. Mm -hmm. uh, well, actually, that's not true. Do you know that I wrote a story for The Ringer on Ime Udoka oh, right really? before the last year? That was my last yeah. official story. There you go. And then I've been, been very happily uh, I've very happily stepped back I haven't written a word since I stopped wow. which I keep expecting to wake up one morning and you know all the great writers mm -hmm. all the geniuses all the legends you hear about them getting up every morning and writing and <laughs> apparently I'm none of the above because right <laughs> at the moment anyway I don't have any um inkling to do that I imagine I will at some point but, yeah yeah um well, you know, I hear you. I'm, uh, you know, I'm easing my way off the court. I'm working like half the games, only home games now, no real traveling okay. at all. So I, I'm with you. This is year 42 for me. So, you know, it's right. time to go. Yes. I think that's about when I stopped after just about 40 years, 41 yeah. years, so, you know, first at the Globe and then later yeah. to Illustrated, then back to the Globe. And then, you know, finally ESPN was a great way, a great place to finish, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because... I really did get a chance to explore all the mediums, mm -hmm. radio, TV, and um, yeah. and the written word. I mean, I always said so many people, especially young people who watched Around the Horn or PTI or, you know, the, the formerly The Jump, which is now the NBA. Yeah. I don't even know what they call it now, but, yeah, you know, they're going to remember me for that. But yeah. uh, I hope most people remember me as a writer. Oh, that's for sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, l- let so. me ask you something. You know, Kobe fa- very famously said that he knew it was time to retire when he woke up in the morning and didn't want to go to the gym and shoot anymore. Right. He, mm-hmm. that November, you know, 2015. I remember him saying that. Did, did right. you, was that, did that happen for you? Because for me, it hasn't quite happened yet, you know, but it, mm-hmm. uh, I'm very close to like hanging the camera up. <laughs> right. I, I think that, you know, for me, Andy, COVID hit and, you know, I make my living or I did make my living having people tell me things they don't tell anybody else. Yeah. All of a sudden, I wasn't allowed to sit in the room with them. Yeah. And it's pretty hard to connect in the same way with someone over Zoom mm-hmm. or over the telephone. Yeah. Um, and so I felt a little hamstrung um, by what I was doing. And I think, too, I got to the point where I'm looking around and thinking, well, what is it that I haven't done yet that I'm just really dying to do? Like, what? I, I mean... You know, I'd been on TV, I'd written books, I yeah. and so that podcast was kind of interesting to me. But then beyond that, I, I felt like for the first time, and the only time really, the stories started to feel the same. And that's a bad thing. Mm. That's a bad thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I really uh, loved what I did, but I, I got to the point where I thought, you know what, when I started in this business, I was 21. Mm. I was younger than most of the athletes I was covering because back then, the league wasn't flooded with 18-year-olds right. and 19-year-olds like it is. Now, there were some for sure, but, yeah. you know, I was younger than most of the players. And then I was their age and, you know, then it got to be, well, maybe I could be their mother. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, well, I'm their damn grandmother now. It's time to go. So, um, I, you know, I I walked away at the wrong time. I finally kind of made it to the point where I was making the kind of money I had always hoped a journalist could make. Uh-huh. But the money wasn't a good reason to stay. Yeah. And and if that was the reason I was going to stay, then I was going to be shortchanging ESPN. So, yeah. um, you know, I called my agent. I you know talked to my family. And my husband always says the same thing. Do whatever you want to do. You know, I also had quit twice during my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I took time off two different times. Once when my son was about four because I just felt like he needed me around a little bit more than maybe my daughter had, who was older. Mm. And then when they were um, in high school and in college, they were involved in so many activities and sports and theater. And I thought, I'm just never going to get to everything. So <laughs> yeah. I I left, yeah. I quit, and I took tears off, and it was just fantastic, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. So I was very fortunate to be able to do that and then to you know, find a place to land after that two-year hiatus. So yeah. Um, yeah. I just... It was, a, you know, the toughest part of our profession was um, trying to be a mom and, and to be a journalist and not to compromise either one. And it's impossible to do that. And there were so few role models for me. There were women in the industry, but not a lot of them that I came across had families, had young children that were trying to balance that so mm-hmm. you just try to do the best you could, you know? Yeah, look, I uh, you preach in the choir. You know, I can't tell you how many ballet recitals and things. I was a single dad. My kids were little from, they were three and four till probably around nine, 10, you know, and it was a juggling act. Like I couldn't believe, you know, taking, I was flying with the Lakers, come home two, three in the morning, wake up, have to go, you know, get them, take them to school. I I mean, I loved all that. It's just, I don't know, couldn't do that today, (laughs) but you know, we do, we do, we, we do what we have to do. Jackie, let me ask some, you know, things have changed so much with access to athletes, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, you and I go back to where, 
you know, we traveled with the teams or, you know, we just hung out with them. There weren't all these layers that you had to get through. Practice was open, Andy. Practice I can remember was open. Practice was open. That's like, right. We went, that's right. I, that's how yeah. everyone always said to me, well, how'd you get to know Larry Burton? I'm like, yeah. well, I did what he did. I just showed up two hours early. Yeah. So yeah. I got practice. If practice at 10, I got there at 830. Yeah. Yeah. And just sat in the bleachers and watched them warm up. And, yep. you know, after a while, they'd say, well, who are you? What are you doing here? And, you know, <laughs> conversations would start. And yeah. so that, that was such a great advantage. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, that didn't that didn't last too, too long. I think I only had five or six years of that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, practice got closed. Yep. And it was open for the last hour. And then all of a sudden it's open for, you know, 10 minutes. You don't see anything. Yeah. And then they let and one guy be available, them. you know, and that's about that's it. That's it. it yeah. And, you know, you'd go into the locker room before games. I I always did my best work pregame. Mm-hmm. Talking to guys, you, you knew, you had to know what their workout, you know, their pregame schedule was. Mm-hmm. And then, you, like Ray Allen, I always knew when Ray Allen was done, when he played for the Celtics, he was earlier than everybody. So he got there and he would do his workout. He'd have his chicken. He'd shave his head at the exact same time. You know, he was a creature of habit. Right. So by the time pregame access was open, he was all done. He was relaxed. He was a great interview pregame. Yeah. Whereas Kevin Garnett, you couldn't go near that dude no, if you did it. No, no. You know, he'd bite your head off. So <laughs> you got to know the cadences of the players you covered and mm-hmm. You know, I don't think any players are available pregame now. I don't know because I haven't had to do it for a while, but I don't think it's it's even exists anymore. And I think that's too bad because that was a great way to, um, you know, I I did a mental health series for ESPN, a five mental health series. And most of the not the interviews, but the connections I made, Andy, were all Mm pregame on the court, pregame, talking with opposing coaches, assistant coaches, opposing players, just sitting courtside, Mm -hmm. not interviewing them, just having a conversation with them, laying the groundwork for this story that I would probably argue was the most important thing I ever did. Yeah. 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 And I don't even know how cool that is today. I I don't know. I'm not there anymore, but. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if that, influence your decision in any way that it's just frustrating now because you can't get close to these players anymore right and yeah it did a little bit i think the one thing i had him going on in my favor was i had been around so mm-hmm. long yeah um you know i had a little bit of cachet i had sure. a lot of their numbers the agents knew me and either liked me or didn't had already made up their mind you know for the for instance that evolution of the nba icon that podcast series mm-hmm we just got going and I was like, man, we need, we need Steph Curry. You know, we got to get Steph Curry. And they're like, we're not going to get Steph Curry. I'm like, yeah, we are. We're going to get Steph. You know? And so you could, you know, I knew who to go to, to get those people. And in some cases I could go directly to the players. And so that, I think I was fortunate because I'd been around so darn long Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, people would respond to you, but I've said it a thousand times, the young guys breaking in today and women breaking in today, it, it, they have a tall order in front of them. It's, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's impossible because I see great young people do it. You yeah. know, one of my favorites is Logan Murdoch, who works for the Ringer and who I've gotten to know a little bit. And man, that guy, he works at it, mm-hmm. and he's developed relationships, and he's a, he's a pretty young guy, and he yeah. does a fantastic job. So I don't want to hear it's it's impossible because yeah. I'm watching very talented young people do it. Yeah, it's just a little harder. Plus, with now obviously with social media, the athletes 
have kind of turned the tables a little bit because they kind of control their narrative, right? Um, but they don't. I see. I'll yeah. push back on okay. that, and yeah. I tell them. Yeah. I, I say this all the time to them. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had these discussions before with some of the the big, best and biggest NBA athletes out there, and and they're like, "Well, I'm going to tell my own story." I said, "Well, you can go right ahead and do that, yeah. but you're not going to tell it well. That's not what you do well." Uh-huh. And and you think that by whitewashing your story that people are interested, they're not. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. they want to see warts and all, and that's and you know the most compelling and interesting stories are stories that show humanness. Mm-hmm. And so I would argue most of them, the exception is LeBron. Mm-hmm. LeBron has done an, a phenomenal job of crafting his image and controlling his own destiny. His his company is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's first rate. It's well done. And I think everybody else has tried to copy him. And in my, my opinion, no one has succeeded. Mm-hmm. So I do say, I've said to some of the athletes, I remember having a conversation with Trey Young about it a little bit. And I said, listen, you're a complicated guy. You know, some people are going to love you. Some people aren't. But that's what makes you so interesting. That makes you compelling. People want to get to know you. They don't want to think you're someone way up in the sky who's, you know, untouchable. That's, and and so I think that's a mistake some of the best athletes in the game today are making. Mm -hmm. Um, They want to control their image. And by the way, you never, ever can. (laughs) Because as long as there are journalists out there, they're going to have their own take on it. And guess what? They're going to present their take with or without you. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I used to do with players was I'd say, hey, here's what I'm writing tomorrow. It's not good for you. Talk me out of it. <laughs> really? No, really. Wow. Yeah, and sometimes they would. Yeah. Sometimes they would. You know, sometimes they say, "No, you have it wrong. This is what happened." Wow. You, know, you. That's not. And sometimes, Dennis Johnson, God rest his soul, who yeah. I loved. loved you know, too, yeah. those who don't know are too young. Yeah. He was on the great '80s Celtics teams. Mm-hmm. An amazing clutch player. I loved him personally, mm-hmm. but he was persnickety and he got cranky. As the Celtics brought in younger players like Brian Shaw, who were taking away his some of his minutes, mm-hmm. rightfully so. Although I still want DJ in the game, you know, when the game's on the line. <laughs> um, but he had a hard time with that, as so many aging veterans do. And I said, DJ, man, I'm going to write that you've been, you haven't really been, you know, on the one hand, you're a mentor of these guys. On the other hand, you're you're causing problems. And he's like, well, that's not true. We, we, we talked it all through. And, you know, we got done and I said... You didn't really talk me out of this, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so I wrote, it wasn't a big story. It was just a little off day thing. It wasn't a big explosive story, mm-hmm. but he was mad at me. He didn't talk to me for a little while. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Howard Beck. I understand respect. Yeah. I always said, said you have to, if you're going to write stuff about these guys, you better show up the next day and take whatever it is you have coming to you. Yeah. You know, yeah. part of the deal. Yeah. Howard Beck told me the same thing with Kobe. Like he had got shut out for a while and then, but you know, you got to do, was interesting. got to do your job. And <clears throat> I think at the end of the day, he more than most people actually respected that. Right. Yeah. Kobe was, Kobe was complicated because he was so smart. Yeah. I mean, I remember I got an email from him once in the middle of the night. We all got it. <laughs> well, not, all of us, as it turned out, but a few of us got one. And it said, have you ever written any fantasy stories? And I mean, in my case, I had not. Yeah. I had all on my, you know, no, I hadn't written any fiction. I was just doing my job. That's all I had time to do. Right. But I know he, he also emailed Bill Plaschke, for instance, my good friend from the LA sure. Times. Yeah. And um, Bill had done some yeah. fiction. So Bill answered him and said, I have. And well, then that started a dialogue. And of course, Kobe was starting his children's mm-hmm. books yep. and what have you. Yeah. But, you know, Kobe and I had... Um, 
We had quite a dance all yeah. the way through. One of, one of my favorite stories of all time that I wrote was on Kobe Bryant when he retired mm-hmm. and his relationship with Michael Jackson yeah. is very, very complicated with Michael Jackson, a relationship with him yeah. and how they both were pariahs at almost the exact same time mm-hmm. and how they both agreed that we just cannot talk to each other anymore because it's going to be bad for both of us. Mm. So there was some introspection I felt from Kobe, you know, near the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really, uh, I, you know, he was, he was, he, I used to, I used to tease him and say, you're playing us all, man. We always think we're the only one and there's lots of us. Cause <laughs> right. that was true with Cole. Yeah, he was he so, was he was so good at it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, he was. And I really, I really loved him. I did. I thought he was a lot, but I mean, talk about warts. Yeah. He had some that, to his dying days, he wasn't really willing to confront. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wrote a great piece about um, Michael Jordan's relationship with him, which, of course, yeah. ca- came full circle. I mean, we're recording this today on two twenty four, which you know is the anniversary of of his memorial, and um, right. I think we were all like. I was taken by surprise by Michael's speech. Quite frankly, it wasn't a dry eye in the house. It was so from the heart, <laughs> and you know, I knew that. Because I have photos of of the young Kobe picking Michael Jordan's brain during an All Star game or whatever it is, but I didn't know it was that deep, right? Did that surprise you? The depth of, that, of their relationship? Well, it didn't. It didn't. Kobe gave hints of that in that in that piece I just referenced. You know, mm-hmm. calling all these people. I mean, that was that's what the story was about. Was mm-hmm. Michael Jackson invited him to Neverland <laughs> and showed him clips of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers? All right, it's Jackie McMullen, just one of the all-time uh, heroes of mine in this profession of uh, journalism. Just how she was able to cover Magic and Bird and the Lakers and the Celtics. I mean, you cannot tell the story about that time period without reading her work and uh, just an absolutely fantastic career. And the thing I love about these, uh, and again these are conversations you know it's not a Q&A it's not it's just two friends catching up again Jackie is retired she doesn't do a lot of these in fact I, this is the first time I've, I've heard her talk since she retired and so uh that we're going to leave it there for now but talk we're going to come back and have some more with Jackie McMullen on the Rashmore Cosby Show when we come back on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California the bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears... We create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big. We go all night. And here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California, the bet in Las Vegas, and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. Just as a reminder, if you have a question or comment or just want to win tickets to an upcoming game, in Southern California, Las Vegas, or Hawaii, call our hotline, 310-400-0340. Again, those tickets coming courtesy of Circus Sports. 
It's Legends of Sport Friday. That can only mean one thing. It's Andy Bernstein. Uh, listen, amazing first segment with Jackie Mack. I have to ask you what may be a tough question. You both have an amazing ability to get these players to trust you. You, from a photography standpoint, Jackie, she's had these amazing books. Um, how, and again, a lot of young photographers, young journalists would love to know, how do you gain that trust? That's a great question, Arash. Um, you know, one of the luxuries I have is that, you know, I don't have to ask a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I... I admire my my journalist friends, you know, Jackie, Howard Beck, um, David Aldridge, J.A. Donde, yourself, you know, Brad Turner. We can name a zillion people. Yeah. They got to ask the tough questions, man. I don't have to do that. And that trust is, is built, I think, for both journalists, you know, who are written, you know, written word, broadcast, as well as photographers is through how you conduct yourself as a professional. And if you're honest with them being the subject, if it's a coach, if it's a trainer, if it's a front office person, if it's a player, um, you know, Jackie talks about in the podcast, how she, uh, she, inter she had, she had a great relationship with Dennis Johnson, the late Dennis Johnson from the Celtics. And Dennis was kind of on the downswing of his career and, was losing minutes and he was ticked off about it. And he was publicly, you know, sort of making a stink. And Jackie wrote a story and told Dennis before it came out, she said, I'm, I'm going to release this story tomorrow. And you're not, you're not looking too good in it. Is there mm. anything you want to say? Yeah. Now that, you know, that's amazing. How many journalists really? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm not on your side of the fence. So I, I don't really know if that's done often, but that shows you the kind of person that she was and yeah. is. I mean, she was as a working professional. Um, in my case, you know, I was a young photographer. I had to, you know, my dad used to say, had a great, a great quote. He's, <laughs> my dad used to say, you only have one chance to make a lasting impression. Okay. Mm. Not one chance to make a first impression, yeah. lasting impression. Because in our business, Arash, you know, they they if they see you coming and it's not genuine or you you're just not your authentic self from the get-go yeah you know you're weeded out man you know they mm -hmm. they meaning anyone in professional sports that you and i have to deal with they just don't want to you know they're not going to give us the time they yeah. give us the trust so i i had built that early in my career and i had i had the luxury really of being with the nba and that being the cachet and that sort of being my calling card. And I, I'm not there to make these guys look bad. You know, I'm not there to take a gotcha picture in the no. room. I'm not there to, to do a portrait and then pick the worst expression. Right. So, no. you know, I'm there really to make them look good. This is way before social media. And now think about how they rely on us, especially the players um, and especially the younger ones who are not the LeBron's, and Steph Curry's of the world who need us photographers, videographers to really help push their brand forward. So it's kind of a mutual relationship type of thing now. And, um, you know, just real quick, when Kobe came in, I had already had 13 years in the league when Kobe came in. Yeah. Um, so I had built that trust with the Laker organization. Um, as long as I didn't screw it up with him from, from the onset, um, 
it was up to me to foster that relationship, keep it going. And, you know, that went for 20 years and resulted in a fantastic personal and professional relationship. And of course the book we did together. So I hope that's a, that's a long winded response no, to the question, but it's a huge thing when I talk to young photographers, no. um, especially that, you know, you could be the greatest photographer in the world, but if, if you think that that's going to get you doors opening and keeping yourself relevant, you're wrong because there's a lot of great photographers out there. It's your personalities, yeah. how you conduct yourself, how you are as a professional. No doubt about it. Again, we only play just a snippet of these conversations. So I know folks who are tuned in are going to be so enthralled. How can they listen to your entire conversation? Well, folks can find us on our home base, which is iHeart. So iHeart Podcast, but also Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find the Legends of Sport podcast. Um, please check out our Instagram at Legends of Sport. My photography, which we do a lot of cross-platforming, is at ADB Photo Inc. And we also have our YouTube and TikTok channels, Legends of Sports. So lots of places to find us. Another really great place is our website, which is um, legendsofsport.net, where you'll find a link to this week's podcast, all our podcasts. We're almost at 200 podcasts wow, wow. Um, in six years. So it's pretty amazing. You can go way back in the archive. And... Uh, you know, I'm also doing a workshop. I know you're going to ask me. That's right. About the workshop. Tell us about the workshop. But we're getting close. I mean, the workshop, <laughs> the workshop um, drops in June, on June 23rd. So we're right. promoting that very heavily. There's a still an early bird special going on. So it's a 12-week interactive um, live workshop with me. And uh, it's all about how to build your career, how to – stay relevant, be professional, not really a nuts and bolts of how to take a picture. You know, there's a lot of workshops you can get. I will talk about certain pictures, certain moments and how I was able to do those. But um, this is more about business, running your life, maybe transitioning a little bit to a different career, um, taking what you learn from one career, bringing it to the next. What um, That's what I'm doing. You know, that's why you and I are talking today. I never thought I'd be in front of a microphone or a camera. You know, I'm supposed to be behind the camera. But 40 plus years later, I'm, I'm loving this this new kind of role that I have. So people can go to uh, to um, Beyond the Lens, beyondthelens.live. So uh, that's the website. Get in early, folks. Drops on June 23rd. Love it. It's Legends of Sport Friday with Andy Bernstein talking to one of our all-time favorites, Jackie McMullen. Upset mm -hmm. with what was happening. Mm -hmm. And Sterling Brown and George Hill are not household names, yeah. but they were like, I don't even, you know, George Hill was saying, I think he said it publicly even before that. Mm -hmm. I don't even want to play. This doesn't feel right to me. We shouldn't be playing. And so Giannis, here's this young leader, not from America. Mm -hmm. he's, he's from Greece, but his brother is in the Milwaukee you know, he's going to high school in yeah. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Right. And I just love the fact that he looked at these two people who were obviously ravaged over this. Mm -hmm. And he stood up and he said, I support them. Mm -hmm. We're not going to play. And then everybody's like, oh, Giannis. Okay, we're not playing. Yeah. So I thought it was a great moment for George Hill and Sterling Brown. They, they don't get enough credit mm -hmm. for their stand. Yeah. But it was also, to me, a very defining moment in the leadership of Giannis Antetokounmpo mm -hmm. because... He he just said this. Look, this isn't right. I'm with you. 
I we're, we're not going to play. Yeah. And I, I thought it was a very powerful moment. And I and mm-hmm. I thought it was funny how some of the other veteran players are like annoyed. Yeah. What, Giannis is supposed to check with them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Nonsense. Yeah. Absolute nonsense. Yeah. I, I loved it. Well, you know, and then it, it just kind of started spiraling. They had that players only meeting, you remember, and. Couple right. of teams well, wanted to leave. Yeah, Jordan was there. Oh, Jordan. Yeah, it was that was Jordan um, was the go-between yeah. because he was the only owner that had ever played in the NBA. Right, and so he was a great go-between between the owners and the players. And the, mm-hmm. and the one thing that Jordan told the owners, which was so important, was for once, listen, mm-hmm. just listen. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It was kind of it was so surreal, Jackie. I I was in the seventh day of my quarantine in my little hotel room coming out the next day from when Milwaukee walked off the court, you know, and everything shut down. So I'm thinking, well, they're going to let me out of quarantine tomorrow. We'll go to the airport, go home. I mean, am I going to stay here? Am I going to be working? None of us knew anything. It was so bizarre. So can we go back in time and just go back, 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 back? So you were a hooper, right? Growing up in in high school and college. It's funny. I was very late. Bloomer. I yeah. went to Westwood High School in Massachusetts. Uh-huh. Great high school. Great yeah. tradition of basketball stars, you know, bas- women's girls stars. Yeah. And I went my freshman year. I had no idea. I had Argyle socks on. My mom was British. <laughs> she didn't know anything about sport, you know, American sports. Yeah. So I showed up to tryouts and I had these Argyle socks on and I looked in the gym. I saw everybody in these shorts. I just was like, Man, I can't do this. So I turn around, and I left, huh. and then my sophomore year, I had the tube socks. My sophomore year, but yeah, I just didn't have enough courage to walk in there and try out. So I went home again, <laughs> and then my junior year. By my junior year, I was running track and playing field hockey. I was a good athlete. I was doing well in other sports, mm-hmm. and and the high school coach Kathy Delaney Smith. I was in her office. I tried to be around her as much as possible. She was such a dynamic leader, mm-hmm. and of course, she went on to be the Harvard coach for forty two years. She's the winningest coach in ivy league history mm. of all sports wow that includes Pete Carrill. no way okay yeah no she's phenomenal I had no phenomenal. idea wow yeah she's yeah. she's amazing mm. we, they called her the wizardest of westwood when she <laughs> when we lived in westwood but anyway yeah she said uh, oh i went to see your sister play today my sister was a great basketball player my sister sue she went on to play at fairfield she was uh-huh. on the full boat at fairfield. yeah and she's at least i'll get one mcmullen to play for me and <laughs> so i said well maybe i'll try out and she looked at me like just shocked yeah and i said oh yeah it's too late i'm a junior it's too late and she's like are you telling me you wanted to play all this i mean i was five foot eleven i'm walking around the halls i'm five foot eleven and i'm not playing (laughs) yeah yeah so she became my mentor and she's my great friend to this Mm, day yeah Uh, um, we're very very close we get together all the time she's just retired also so we're doing Mm. a lot of fun things together yeah she's in the hall of fame right she's in the hall of fame yeah. No, no not, not the Naismith Hall of Fame. She no, should be. Well, she got to get. Be. She's got to get in there, especially well, we're working with, on it. Yeah, but but, the, um, but anyway. So, you know, once I started playing, I couldn't stop. Yeah. Um. I mean, I played at University of New Hampshire, and then mm-hmm. I played well into my fifties, which was a huge mistake because I now have two artificial discs <laughs> oh, in my geez. neck. Yeah. You know? oh, but, um, yeah. Well, we got, I, you I know, I, basketball. Yeah. Well, what I'm curious about is if if there was a WNBA back then, of course there wasn't, and the the highest anyone could achieve would be the Olympic team. You know, Nancy Lieberman tells a great story about that. Um, But if there was, would you have aspired to that? Would you have seen that as like a goal instead of journalism, maybe? No, I wasn't good enough. No? No? I I always understood. 
understood how good I was and how good I was. And I <laughs> Always know uh, your limitations. That would have been, right. been a pipe. I mean, I, I, I had a nice college career. I, I'm very fortunate to have played, you know, at that level. But yeah. I, I started so late. I never would have. I think the difference would have been if I was growing up and the WNBA existed, mm-hmm. I would have been playing basketball in the third grade, like, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. When I was growing up, yeah. the earliest you could even play on a team was the eighth grade. Yeah, it's So crazy. that's the difference. Yeah. You know, my, my daughter started playing, I forget when. I think we made her wait a while because I just thought playing at eight years old or something was kind of yeah. pointless. Yeah. So she, let's say she started playing in the fourth grade. Yeah. And so she played all the way through. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a different, you know, different climate than the one I was in. I mean, I used to, when I was a kid, I used to get up every morning, look out my window. Our our, our road was on the flat part of our road. Mm-hmm. It was a horseshoe street. Mine was on the flat part. We played street hockey every day. I was the only girl. Mm-hmm. And first to the pavement, got the first game. And I was the first one out there every single morning because otherwise I wasn't sure I'd get to play. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I was just, yeah. I, I loved sports. Yeah. I just wanted, it didn't matter what, I mean, but then I just, I fell in love with basketball, and I can't shake that. I still watch all the games. I'm retired. I still yeah, it's still in the blood, right? NBA. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, you follow closely, and yeah, but I just don't. I can turn off the set. I can first of all drink a glass of Chardonnay, and second of all turn off the set when the game is. <laughs> and you don't have to worry about a, a quote or a scoop or anything, right? So exactly, yeah, exactly. So you you end up at the Globe in '82. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. It is. So what? Very because I couldn't piece together like how like how did you end up at the Globe? How did that I know, all I'm happen? So lucky, right? Because yeah. that's like. An, so I went to the University of New Hampshire. Yeah. And I was playing basketball. So those basketball covered both semesters. Mm-hmm. So most kids who were in journalism were doing internships during the school year. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't do that because I was playing basketball. Mm-hmm. So I was behind. I was behind on my internships. So back then, UNH had a great relationship with a gentleman named Jack Driscoll. Mm-hmm. And so every year, one student from UNH got to have an internship at the Globe that summer. And that was a huge deal. It was a national internship program. Right. It was a big, big deal. Yeah. So the summer that I was graduating from UNH, I got that spot, but the Globe did not allow graduates to have that spot because they didn't want you bugging them for a job. Mm. So my professor, Andy Merton said, no problem, we're gonna defer your graduation. (laughs) So I literally had all the credits, but I just deferred it. And I went there for the summer and I worked in the news department, not in the sports department. And I worked the seven to three shift, the lobster shift they used to call it. And, and after I got done, I just go over to the sports department because there was another young intern there uh-huh. who became my best friend, Ian Thompson. Ian Thompson, of course, ended up working at the Globe and for the National. Yeah, and, the same Ian you know, Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I know. He's Ian. my best friend in this business. Wow. My oldest best friend in this business yeah. to this day. Mm. And so and he was so polished. He knew so much more than I did. He was, yeah. gosh, he's so talented. So. Yeah. We hung out together all summer. He had an apartment in Dorchester. I was living at home with my family because I was from the Boston area. Yeah. And and at the end of the summer, I would, like I said, I would hang around the sports department. And um, <laughs> I actually wrote about, I actually went to Vince Doria, the sports editor at the time, who then went on to have a great career at ESPN and said, I have a story idea. Um my old high school coach is going to Harvard. She's one of the winningest coaches. And he's looking at me like, <laughs> and I said, you know, I just thought maybe I could try it and see if you want, you know. Yeah. And he's looking at me. She's like, all right, yeah, whatever. So I wrote it and Ian helped me. Ian was so great. Ian helped me with the story. He, he, Ian was so 
by a really lovey and he was huh. a great support to me anyway they ran the story like in the inside page it was you know they didn't give it any play or whatever but at least i had vince's attention so at the end of the summer i went to him and i said look I love sports. I would do anything to work here. I'm young. I'm mm-hmm. cheap. I'm a woman. <laughs> yeah. You know, anything you have, I, I will do anything. I'll do anything. Mm-hmm. So he said, ah, well, you know, we're going to have an opening right this minute. We might have an opening because Ray Fitzgerald had just passed away. Mm. So he had me, you used me as a stringer to cover college football games. <laughs> so I was covering Northeastern football, which doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> and being football which doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and yeah. I was writing these stories and what he really was doing was asking the desk, what time did she get it in? Was she good on deadline? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then he called me up and he said, all right, come back in. And I went back in and he said, all right, come back and see me in a month. And I said, okay. And he said, I said, I'm going to Orlando. I have an interview with, with the Orlando Sentinel. Uh-huh. And I went down there and they, they offered me a job. So I went right from the airport to his office and said, so the Orlando Sentinels offered me a job. And he said, okay. Mm-hmm. He goes, well, give me, come back in a week. Mm-hmm. So I went back in a week and he said, I guess I'm going to hire you. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. That's amazing. And were you that the couldn't... first woman, like, staffer in the sports department? No, 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 no. Oh. Remember, Leslie Visser had oh, been Leslie, there Oh, Leslie, of course. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there was a, a woman named Judy Van Handel who worked the desk who also did some writing from time. Yeah, no, oh, I was okay. not the first. Yeah. What I was was the first female col- sports columnist, columnist. ever. Right, right, ever. right. And now I've been succeeded by Tara Sullivan, who does an excellent job for the Globe now. Yeah. You know what, what amazes me about that story? is This is the same young woman who didn't have the guts to try out for her I high know. school basketball team, but you, you had the guts to go in and, and pretty much strong arm the boss only because <laughs> ian made me i'm yeah. telling you ian that's beautiful that's that's yeah, great ian, so great so part. when young female sports writers come and i ran into malika andrews last night at the game told her i was going to be interviewing you and i had just seen i just watched um a clip of her when she interviewed you and thank you for being the trailblazer for leading the way and i know you know that you take that in stride but you know you've you have set you know, so many women on a path to succeed because of what you've done. Um, do you still have young, aspiring female sports writers, sportscasters come to you for advice and mentorship? Um, not quite so much now, but but yeah. you know, I, I think it's important to say, Andy, there were lots of women before me. I know, I know you're, yeah, how humble I, you're going to be, you know, but but everybody no, but points I mean, to you, yeah, and, and like. I, I, I look at the contem- my contemporaries when I was starting out, and yeah. they're big names. You know, we're talking Christine Brennan sure. and John Howard and yeah. Sally Jenkins. Like those guys are giants yeah. in the industry. Yeah, and I think because I'm on television so yeah. much, yeah, uh, you know, I think TV is such a powerful medium, but I don't mm. think it should diminish some of the great people that aren't on television regularly. And I, I just named three of them that I happen to admire greatly. But yeah, and I work. I work. I, with, I love like. Yeah, you know, I love young. Women, I love, like, you know, when I was at ESPN, it was my favorite thing. Not just women, by the way. I hear more from men. You know why? Because women aren't like men in that they don't reach out the way men do. Men are like, screw it. I'm going to call her. I'm going to text her, you know. And women aren't as good at that. And so whenever I talk to young women, I'm like, don't be bashful. I made that mistake. You Don't you make that mistake. And so Mm -hmm. I just, you know, when I was at ESPN, I mean, Ramona Shelburne, I consider my contemporary, even though I am quite a bit older than Ramona, but mm-hmm. she was someone, I mean, she's such a great reporter. And, you know, we used to talk a lot about things and, um, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And Malika, gosh, she doesn't need my help. She's going straight, you know, as <laughs> yeah. I said on that show, straight to the moon. All right, another amazing Legends of Sport Friday with Andy Bernstein, with one of our all-time favorites, Jackie McMullen. Again, these conversations, I look forward to them every week. I'm sure you do as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. That's all the time we have for today. Let's do it again next week. Until then, this is Arash Markazi saying stay safe and stay healthy. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hustle for the cash so it's hard to knock it. Everybody got their own thing. Currency chasing worldwide through the hard times. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.